0: Seats. As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere on the floor around you. The passage will also be on the screen. It is good to see you all. I'm I'm glad we all survived the snowpocalypse last weekend. Uh, It's good to be here. Um, yeah, and and I just want to make one comment about the family meeting. If um, this is for those of, of us that are partnering together, but if you're leaning in and you want to kind of just understand some of the things that God's called us to, maybe this year this might be a good thing to do. That's going to be at 5 o'clock uh, in here, and you just get a little bit of a flavor of what we're about. It's it's a little more fun than a, a business meeting, but this is where we really are coming together, where uh, as a church we've just... Asking God, what, what's next for us? And so this will be a good opportunity to come out and hear about that. Um, we are in week three of our Kingdom Culture series. And this morning we're going to talk about the topic of anxiety. So, all right, any fans of anxiety out there? <laughs> all right. <laughs> anxiety. Um, I mean, if we're, if we're honest, um, is, is something that silently haunts most of us, right? Statistics tell us that uh, almost one in five of us deal with some kind of anxiety-related disorder. That's for those that are inside the church and those outside the church. Um, there was a study that came out in the year 2000, and I'm sure it's only grown since then, that said the average high school student in America experiences as much anxiety as a uh, as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. So anxiety is on the rise, and there are lots of reasons for that. I mean, I think one of them is probably in your pocket and distracting you at this moment. It's that constant stream of information that's always coming at you, um, where you can have an update on the government being shut down simultaneously with someone from kindergartens going on their dream vacation, and you're tempted to compare yourself with them. But the reality is, like we live in a world where anxiety is the norm, but inside the church of Jesus Christ, it's meant to be a place where peace becomes the norm. One author says that peace is the oxygen of heaven. And so as we pray and Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that we're asking and one of the things that we're praying for is that the peace of heaven would come and rest on the people in earth. That the church of Jesus Christ would be a place where peace becomes a lifestyle, where the world that is normally anxious, where the world that's normally just tied to all the things that it thinks it's supposed to accomplish comes and finds rest and restoration for their souls. And as we um, look at Matthew chapter six this morning, what we're going to see is Jesus announcing a completely different kind of kingdom that we can find refuge in. And what my genuine prayer is for everyone in this room this morning is that, that this would not just be idealism. This is not Jesus just setting forth an ideal world, but this is Jesus offering ministry to real people that have real anxieties and real fears that he wants to meet. So if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6 and you're able, would you stand with me? And The reason we stand is just we want to give attention to God's words. His words are completely different completely other, completely inerrant, and they're the words that give us life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Imagine him speaking these words directly to your anxiety. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. to pray with me? Father, I pray that every one of us would be able to take up your invitation to not be anxious this morning. I pray that you would travel the distance from our heads to our hearts and out to the details of our lives where your peace becomes the air that we breathe. I pray that the, the culture of heaven would invade earth in these moments and that it would make a tangible difference as we go and we live our lives, that we could do ministry in the world full of anxious people and we can bring them to the Prince of Peace where there is real rest, real freedom, and real joy. To do that, we need you to send your Spirit, Father, I Needs you. I declare my dependence on you, but I also have just a confidence that you love this church and you love these people more than I do. So we trust you to move and to act for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we're going to look at this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 6 is that discipleship with Jesus is the lifelong process of learning peace in the place uh, or instead of anxiety where it becomes the norm for the disciple of Jesus as we follow him that peace becomes a lifestyle where anxiety grows less and less as we follow in the steps of our teacher and our rabbi Jesus. Now, as you look at the Sermon of the Mount as a whole, it is Jesus announcing that there is a completely different kind of way to live. That there is a new kingdom that is here now for those that follow him in his life and in his teaching and ultimately his work and his sacrifice on the cross, that this kingdom is a life of peace. That We've, we've recently been studying in Advent that, that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace, that he's meant to come into the circumstances of your life, the things that you are anxious about. The things that rob you of joy. The things that would rob you of sleep. That he actually cares about those things and he wants to do ministry for you. And this is not just a relief of the circumstances of our lives. And that's what we most want sometimes. But what this is a promise of is the presence of a king. That as we enthrone Jesus as the king of our lives and the king of the universe and we bring the circumstances of our lives to him that the overflowing result will be peace, peace that comes from him. Um, and this is not just idealism. This is the fundamental belief that we have as followers of Jesus that he is absolutely bigger than everything that we are afraid of. Right? That through his life through his death, through his resurrection, that he has dealt with everything that causes us anxiety. And so as we follow out life and discipleship with him, we're going to increasingly live a lifestyle of peace. Now, anxiety at its core is the soul's projection of some undesired outcome. And then it begins to respond inside the body. It can be as mild as butterflies in the stomach before I come up to speak on a stage. And it can be as paralyzing, right, as not wanting to get out of the bed and you can't function in life. For everyone in this room, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, Jesus' words to you are, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your job. Don't be anxious about the career that you have to pick. Don't be anxious about your children. Don't be anxious about your finances. Don't be anxious about reconciling with your spouse. All of this is an invitation to trust Jesus as the king of the universe. And more important than the king of the universe in this instance is the king of our lives where he wants to bring us peace. Why can we trust him to bring peace in our lives? The answer really is um, complicated in some ways, and it's really simple in some ways, because Jesus is the king. He really has dealt with everything that can cause us fear and anxiety, and, and really, what he says, even on a pragmatic level, like if you are a pragmatist here, do you want to know, does anxiety work? Look at, you find the answer in verse 27. Verse 27 says, "In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? So Jesus is saying, Listen, anxiety doesn't work. And, and what we're really about in, in, in the process of anxiety is trying to save our life. And what you're going to discover as you examine the anxiety that lives in all of us is that anxiety, instead of giving us life, actually robs us of life. So, I mean, this is a common scenario, right? All of us have some kinds of conversations with people that we know that we need to have, right? And in those moments when we know that there's a conversation that we're not looking forward to, it could be with a boss It could be with a spouse. It could be with a friend. Our minds are bombarded with all of the possible outcomes. Like, will this person like me? Will this person reject me? Will this conversation cause me harm? And what's insane about anxiety is... In those moments, we actually begin to experience the things that we're actually afraid of. We bring all of those things to bear on our own life and our own soul, all in the private confines of our own minds. Now, when my wife and I were getting married, we had this friend and this mentor, and she said to us as we were getting married, she would always say this phrase, there's no grace for the imagination. And what she meant by that is, that grace is for real people and real situations. She's echoing the words of Jesus that there really tomorrow has enough trouble of its own that we don't need to borrow trouble. But listen, if you have to go through something, there will be grace that will be sufficient for what you have to walk through. But grace, there is no grace for our imagination. So God wants to move in the realm of our thoughts And and this isn't just a promise to remove the feelings of anxiety, but God wants us to get down to the roots of our anxiety. Because most of us are better at dealing with the symptoms of anxiety than the roots of anxiety. So the way that we tend to deal with anxious kinds of situations, there's really two common responses. One of them is control and manipulation, right? Right? And, and we use our anger or our emotions to try to steer the conversation or the event in the way that we want it to go. And then for other kinds of people, I mean, you just totally avoid that kind of thing. And the result of both of those scenarios is that we are robbed from the life that Jesus has prom- promised for us. In his book, um, The Disappearing Church, Mark Sayers, who is an author and a social commentary kind of guy, he tells the story of the 1995 movie Safe. Now, this is a movie that I would like to say that I have seen, but it's one of those Sundance movie, Sundance Festival kinds of movies. It's the kind of movie that you would like to say that you've seen, but you actually have never watched. Well, thankfully, smart people like Mark Sayers watch movies like that so that we can learn. So he tells the story of this movie Safe, and it has... Julianne Moore as the star. It's in 1995, and it goes back to the ancient setting of 1987. And (laughs) the main character is named Carol, and she spends her days going to the spa, shopping for furniture, right, and basically pampering herself. And what she finds out very quickly is that her life is very empty until she is overwhelmed with this fear of the world, that all of the chemicals that are out there inside the world are waging warfare against her body. And as the story progresses, she progressively moves herself further and further away from life until at the end of the movie, she says says goodbye to her family, her children, her husband, and she's in this self-contained bubble because she can't stand to be around other people. This is a picture, ultimately, of what anxiety wants to do to us. It wants to rob us from life. It wants us to withdraw from the things that God has called us to do. And, and this is spoken into a context, honestly, that is much, has much graver uh, circumstances than ours. These are a group of people that really did have to live and work and trust God for their daily bread. And it's into that context, Jesus says, don't be anxious. Anxiety promises life, but it actually robs us of life. But what Jesus teaches is that both the roots and the cure for anxiety is found in our view of God. Look at verses 26 through 31. If you want to understand anxiety, it's all tied to how we view God. Verses 26 through 31. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into oven, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? So what Jesus is saying in this section is God takes care of the birds of the air, something that most of us don't give a second glance to, that God takes care of the lilies of the field that are Looked at today and ultimately used as fuel the next day. He says, not even the richest person in all of history could even pale in consider- pales in consideration with the way that the lilies are clothed by God. And the point of all of that is that you are worth so much more to God than birds. You are worth so much more to God than the grass of the field. He takes care of them by just by comparison. How much more will he take care of you? How much more will he take care of the things that you are anxious about? So anxiety is not just about our um, theology of God, but it also is this idea that we have forgotten how valuable we are. So in that moment, when we are anxious, we have forgotten that we are precious and that we are valuable to God. You are of much more value than they. That's what Jesus is teaching. The underlining theology of anxiety, when we break it down, is that God can't, God won't, right? Right? And he does not care. Now, most of us are not bold enough to think that God can't do something. But what makes anxiety so emotionally damaging is that we believe that God won't provide for us. That he won't take care of us. That he won't meet us. And ultimately, that he does not care. The root of anxiety is theological. That God will not meet us. That he won't meet us. And that he does not care. Anxiety shrinks God down to the size of people, right? It makes him inconsistent, inconsistent and arbitrary. But what Jesus is teaching that's radical in this context and should be radical to us is not only that God is the God of the universe that can do these things, but he is a father that will do these things. That God is your Heavenly Father. That's why Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or praised be your name. He as we as disciples of Jesus understand who God is as our Father, we understand that God not only can do something, but God has done something by sending his son Jesus into the world. Romans 8.32, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? That's how you know when anxious thoughts assail you that God is going to meet you in the midst of that is because he did not spare his own son. So the theology of peace is that God can, God has, and God will meet us as his children because he did not Spare his own son. And so the way that we actually begin to take steps forward and the way that we begin to experience peace is to take every thought captive and to begin to enthrone Jesus over the lies that we believe about ourselves and over the lies that we believe about him. The most practical piece of advice that I could give you is when you are experiencing anxious thoughts is to take just 10 seconds and to write down what you're really afraid of. And it's usually two or three layers more than what you think you're afraid of. Right. But in those moments, this, I mean, this, this can happen more and more. And this is what discipleship with Jesus looks like is saying, does this line up with what I know to be true about God? Is this what I know to be true about him from his word? Is this what I know to be true about him, um, the one that did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? And it's just that little exercise that begins to give us peace, that we are not believing true things about God as our Father and the God that will and the God that can, that we are believing a lie. So God actually wants to give us peace by bringing his presence to bear on our lives. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is that the battle of anxiety is a war between two kingdoms, my little kingdom and the kingdom of God. Look at verses 31 through 33. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows what you need, right? Isn't that amazing? He's not somehow far off in distance. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So what Jesus is saying here is, don't be preoccupied with your own needs. He knows what you need before you even ask. He is watching out for you. And that as you seek his kingdom... And as his cares and concerns become your cares and concerns, he actually is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that we can actually trust him. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. And that's the people at this time that aren't seeking after God. They're they're the ones that define life by what you have and what you eat and what you wear. But as the people of God, you have to live for a better story. You get to live for a better story. And that's what he says in verse 33. He says, you can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But this is what's the most dangerous thing living in the 21st century, living in Jonesboro, Arkansas you can use all of the language of the kingdom of God and have none of the joy of the kingdom of God, right? You can use all of these words about Jesus being our savior and Jesus being our king and him being our God, but functionally, we don't live any different from the world. Listen to these two quotes. And just, listen, I've had to adjust my own view of what kingdom I'm living for. John Stott says this, Once again, our Lord simplifies the issue for us by reducing the alternative possible life goals to only two. He puts them over and against each other in this section, urging his followers not to be preoccupied with their own security, food, drink, and clothing, for that is the obsession of the Gentiles who don't know him, but rather with God's rule and God's righteousness and with their spread and triumph in the world. So what he's saying here is, not only might our theology of God be mixed up, but you might be, if you are riddled with anxiety, you might be living in the wrong kingdom, right? This is a battle between what we define life as and what God defines life as. Listen to Paul Tripp in his book, The Quest for More, commenting on the same verses says this The focus of little kingdom living is anxiety bound need. So if that's where you live, it's very possible you're living in the wrong kingdom. Christ says something quite radical here. He says, you cannot reduce your life down to simply making sure that all your needs are met. Then he says, your life is more important than that. You see, I was not created to shrink the size of my life down to the size of my own felt needs. There is something incredibly dehumanizing about living this way. The little kingdom is a kingdom of self. It's driven by personal desire and need. Its eyes are always inward. Its rules are determined by what's best for me. It squeezes all of my relationships and activities into the contours of my felt needs and personal treasures. Even though I may not know that I'm doing it, I will enter every forum of my life with a what's in it for me posture. I will like when you are I will like you when you are helping me get what I want, but I will struggle with spontaneous anger towards you when you unwittingly get in the way of what I want. Although I may describe myself as a God-fearer, I functionally sit at the center of my universe, saying, What good for me is the law of the universe of one? And I'm going to say this with absolute compassion. This is difficult. But the truth is you can't live for both. And most of us in the room are trying to live for both. You simply cannot live for your own felt needs. It's not as if anyone in this room is probably going to be intellectually honest enough to say, I don't want Jesus. But functionally, the way that we live our lives is we want the kingdom of this world more. And I, I mean, I have to examine my own Language, right? I mean, our own wants and our own needs become central, and the kingdom of God gets pushed to the periphery, right? So I say things like, not I want a vacation, but I need a vacation, right? Not I would like to have a new TV for my bedroom, which I would because it's really small, but I need a new supersized TV for my bedroom because I'm getting older and my eyesight's growing bad, right? We functionally justify, right, this idea that our needs become central and the kingdom of God gets pushed to the side. But what happens and what we rarely consider is that the anxiety that we experience is over all of these little things that don't matter. What we're supposed to do is to seek first. And by first, he means central, not first in the list of orders. Because here in Jonesboro, that often means that we're going to do Jesus here and he gets this slot, but the family gets this slot, and then work gets this slot, and marriage gets this slot. No, Jesus has to be the center of it all, right? None of those things ever come into conflict if Jesus is in the center right? There, the, our schedules don't get all messed up when Jesus is at the center, but it's when like, we live on these razor-thin margins on our budgets and on our schedules when kingdoms come into conflict, right? There's peace that comes from placing Jesus at the center. Um, Glenn Stason, this is a very helpful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. This is his own interpretation of Matthew 6.33. He says, Strive first for God's reign and God's restorative justice. That puts a new spin on righteousness, right? This isn't about being a good person. This isn't about going to church. This is not about doing another Bible study or another D group This is about seeking God's kingdom. Jesus teaches the kingdom of God always cites Isaiah where seven characteristics of the kingdom of God are redemption, justice, peace... God's presence, joy over participation in what God's doing, healing and repentance and return to God. Investing in God's reign and his restorative justice means investing where God is bringing these characteristics of the kingdom to occur. Strive first does not mean first this and then something else. It means above all else. So, a way To be free from anxiety that we rarely consider is go all in with Jesus, right? Go all in with his kingdom. Those that have been freed from their sins labor to see other people freed by their sins. Those that have been redeemed and set free long to see other people set free. And anxiety comes to rest when we live for this little kingdom instead of this big kingdom that's meant to have its effect on everything that we do. So he wants to set us free from these small things. And listen, he delights to give us the kingdom, according to Luke chapter 12. He loves to do that. But we have to lay down the pursuits of this world, what we think success is. And if you're a parent in this room, I would beg you. I mean, I have a senior in high school right now, and we're having this conversation of what really matters in life, what success is. You cannot pursue for the most part, a big salary and the kingdom of God. Those things are incompatible with each other. It's not that it's wrong to make money, but if that is your overarching desire in life and that is what you consider success, you have a faulty view of success. We do need people that are generous towards the kingdom, but we need people that seek the kingdom first. And so we want to instill that, right? So this week, we just want to be talking about what does it look like to be... Seeking God's kingdom and his restorative justice inside the world. See, we get to live this way. And this is, when, this is when the world will start to ask questions about how we live. Not because we go to church, but because we're involved in a different kind of kingdom living. Asking why we have the hope that we do. That God wants to come in and he wants to do something different and significant. We have a different value system. We have a different king. But I do want to give you a, a couple of ways. I think it is helpful to fight the battle of anxiety, and then we'll close. One of the things I learned in the last years from a podcast I listened to a, a lady by the name of Emily Freeman, and she talks about doing the next right thing. And um, she has a, a life where she's constantly scheduling things months at a time. That reflects my life in a lot of ways, and. She says it's just in the adding of things to the schedule that confronts us, where we know that as we put things on our schedule, that there's probably far more on there than we can actually accomplish um, in our own strength. But she says when you begin to experience anxiety about something, like just ask the simple question, is this thing happening today? Like, is this going to happen today? And if the answer is no, then sometimes you can just put it to the side. Um, Other times, um, you might want to ask yourself the question, is there something that I could do today that would actually bring tangible relief and make me feel more prepared for that thing that I'm anxious about, right? And if it is today, then God has sufficient grace to meet you today, that he actually wants to come inside of your schedule. So for me, without exception, the most stressful part of my week is when I come in my office and I have a to-do list that I mark down every week. And this simple, I learned this from a book recently. When I write my schedule down, instead of just writing down all the tasks that I think I need to do, I just simply out to the side write with God. So, counseling meeting with God. Sermon prep with God. Leading a gospel community with God. Preparing for a family meeting with God. And just that simple idea that God is with us and that he's near us. It transforms the way that I walk out my days. That's just very practical. But the reality is God wants to give us a kingdom that lives in the the reality of the peace that he has provided for us on the cross. The reason that we can have peace is because we actually have peace with God. He became a peace-giving sacrifice on the cross, now there's no hostility between us and God because Jesus was sacrificed. And for some of us, we're anxious because we haven't experienced that peace. We actually have to place our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and the fact that God's raised him from the dead. And you will be surprised at how much anxiety goes away just because you have peace with God. That is the invitation if you've never placed your faith in Jesus. He wants to meet you here this morning. But for the rest of us, I mean... Just imagine that just this week, if we lived as a kingdom people, where peace reigned, like if anxiety was not the barrier and the thing that was holding us back as a people, oftentimes we think about the opposition that exists outside in the world that makes kingdom living difficult, but really the the most most of the opposition that we experience is right here, where we disqualify ourselves before we begin. And we think about the resources that we don't have instead of the resources that God has. God says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we've received kingdom of peace. I pray that for everyone here in this room that you would tangibly bring peace. Father, collectively as your people, We all repent of living for our little kingdoms and our own little piece of the world and trying to fit you into a time slot, either on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. We want to live with you at the center. Help us not live for the story of materialism and greed and doing more and trying harder. Help us to be free as a people to receive the peace that comes from following you. Build our relationships on this peace. I pray that you would fill our hearts and our minds and our lips with the knowledge that comes from knowing you. Father, collectively, we take a deep breath as your people and thank you that we have peace with you. Thank you that we have been forgiven by you. And I pray that that peace would overflow into peace and loving kindness for other people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.